This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Find the entertainment you love with Contour TV and Contour Stream Player. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Alex Carell is one of over 70,000 Google Career Certificate graduates. The Google Career Certificate program completely changed the trajectory of my life. I've always been interested in computers, but I never thought I could turn this into a career. Anytime I got a little break, I'd just pop open the course on my phone. That allowed me to have that path into a career that I'm passionate about. Train online for in-demand jobs in IT, UX design, data analytics, project management, and more. Visit grow.google slash certificates. Good evening, Honey Hole Hangout. <laughs> it's different every week. It's different every week. And it's just three words. And it's just <laughs> more than three. Well, guys, welcome to Honey Hole Hangout. We are a group of guys that have regular jobs. We like to hunt, fish, hang out, talk about what we like to do. And today we have a special guest with us, Graham Jones. Happy to be here. Yeah, we're glad you're here. For sure. I brought the mezcal. You did yeah. bring the mezcal. <laughs> Tell us about the mezcal. Well, so I brought a bottle of Madre mezcal here here with uh, to y'all today as a gift because I've heard you, you know, talk about bourbon and whiskeys and uh, thought I'd just bring a little mezcal from Oaxaca. But uh, a couple of couple of guys from Austin are behind that, and uh, I, I love it. It's got a great price point and a super taste, and I think it's really one of my favorite mezcals. Where can you pick it up at for just everybody to... You can get it to Austin Shaker around Austin, uh, King Liquor, Specs. Specs, okay. I got this one at Specs. So yeah, you're, it has a pretty wide mm. uh, wide distribution list now. Uh, now, do you normally drink mezcal, or is this kind of like your one that you go, like the like your favorite, that's the only one you drink? It, I, I like to mix it up, but okay. this is sort of my go-to. Okay. This is my go-to. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's very good. Yeah. Smoky for sure. It's mm. very smoky. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's good, isn't it? It's different. I've never had anything like this before. Yeah, and with Madre, I mean, it's a good mixer, but it's also a good sipper. And so you'll mm-hmm. find as you explore the different mezcals, you know, you might find one that's a better mixer and one that's a better mm-hmm. sipper. But to, to me, Madre's, Madre's both. I good. like the bottle and the, the art. The yeah, art on yeah. it, too, is yeah. great. So this yeah. is my first mezcal. Uh, what would you normally mix this with? So you could do like a ranch water. Okay. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think. Um, Topo, some, Chico some, yeah, Topo Chico, fresh lime. You could do, you know, margarita and, and substitute uh, mezcal for tequila. Mm. Uh, obviously, the, the, the sipper. I mean, you could do you can do all sorts. You, you, people mix it with Campari. I mean, you can do all kinds of stuff. You're kind of a king of ranch waters, I've noticed on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> You're always mixing them up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, we'll do. Uh, I got a story for you guys about my trip to Comfort. Uh, we, oh, yeah. we did a family vacation, Comfort, Texas. Uh, family rented a house on the Guadalupe River, and we just went up there and got to hang out with my nephew and uh, my in-laws, and we had a great time. It was very relaxing. I didn't do much. You mean comfortable? It was very comfortable. We did go to Blackboard Barbecue, which is in Sisterdale, which is highly recommended. No, that's the Sisterdale barbecue you were talking about. Yes, from last week. The Sisterdale barbecue I was talking about from last week. Yes. Okay. It's, it's called it's its actual name is not Sisterdale barbecue. That's its actual what I always name thought it was. Is, right. Me too. That's the thing is everyone refers to it as Sisterdale barbecue, but if you search for that, you're not going to find it. It's called Blackboard barbecue. Okay. 
It's really good. They do uh, like wild game. They have some wild game barbecue options, and then they have your traditional barbecue options. Oh, very cool. And it's very good. And if you guys want to go hang out the river, you have the Sisterdale Bridge right there. So you can go fish. You can go swim, take the dogs out. It's a it's a good trip to go out to Sisterdale. I think they have a winery there, too, so you can, make a, whole, mm-hmm. you can yeah. make a whole day of it. So we did that what that one day for lunch. And then I did fish one evening, and I took the fish tacos. Uh, oh, the taco flies. The, the taco fish fly. taco flies. Yeah, yeah. And I caught some nice bass on the taco on the fly. Taco fly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so our buddy uh, Kurt makes this fly called the fish taco fly. It looks just like a taco. Like a crunchy taco. Like a crunchy mm-hmm. taco. Yeah. And he's actually coming on the podcast in a couple weeks to, to talk about it. So me and Zach made a YouTube video we a did. couple months ago yeah, at this like, point where we went out and we're like, we're going to go and just catch a bunch of fish on the taco. And we didn't really have any luck on the taco or much of anything else. Yeah, yeah, that whole day was just j- just a crammed. bust. But I did catch one fish on a taco. You did. The, literally, we we're like seeing the car. We're on our way out. And we managed to pull in one yeah. fish on a taco fly. It but. was a it was a rough day, but I caught two really nice bass on it so for the nice. upper quad yeah. on the Doritos Locos taco, wait, wait, which wait, is which which flavor the the Cool Ranch or the fiery nacho, nacho cheese? Oh, okay, yeah, I did yeah. try fish Cool Ranch, no <laughs> fish though. He makes a couple different taco flies. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's different variations. So it's like Taco Bell tacos, yeah. Not even like good tacos, yeah. We we call them Taco Bell tacos. I just call them tacos. Yeah, just tacos. Doritos Locos is the way to go. He needs to make like a uh, on the upper quad Taquitos West taco. <laughs> Taquitos West taco. I did eat there on Sunday for our anniversary. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah, that was our anniversary trip. I tried to take Cynthia there on Sunday as well. We didn't go, oh. but I tried to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this really good taco stand where it's like just outside. They just cut everything it's all off street right for you. Yeah, it's street tacos. Well, it's, it's also the Austin San Antonio Taco Wars. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what's yeah, your opinion we, on we that? We all know uh, San Antonio is mean, better. I thought we weren't getting into politics. Next question. Uh, Zach, you had a good trip or a good weekend, didn't you? Doing some ranch work. Yeah, yeah, you know, you got to earn it. Uh, but my uh, stepdad and my brother got a little lease out in Kerrville this year, and we're uh, we're going out, but we got to do some work to kind of make it. They have like old stands, and um, we've known the guy who's owned the land for like years and years, but he's always had like a couple guys who have been leasing it. And uh, they finally this year were like, hey, we're not going to renew. And so finally, like Frank and Eli stepped in and we're like hey we're gonna like let's do it and so my brother is just like looking for something to do on the weekends and so he's uh he's made it his mission to like clean it up replace all of the blinds that have like holes and are falling apart with like new updated blinds and cleaning out the the senderos and everything and so i went with him on saturday and uh helped build his new blind and his the first one there's a couple that are down in a canyon that uh it's like there's not really any trails to take a vehicle or a side-by-side down, so it's all, like, huffing everything back and up up and down. Yep. And so we're starting up top where it's easy <laughs> and then working our way down. And nice and cool. Too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. going to get cooler as we get closer. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but it was good. He did all, of, like, the grunt work uh, earlier in the week where he was, like, cutting up everything. So essentially we put it – we brought it looks it there. like you guys are making the blinds yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, because you're not blind buying a blind and then putting it out there. No. You guys are like 
framing your own blinds. Yeah, exactly. Because you can save like half the cost, if not more, by building it yourself. Which yeah. now is like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll probably save it more. Because I think yeah, he blinds said are expensive. I think he said he put five hundred dollars well, into lumber's it. Lumber is expensive. As yeah. Well. yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, yeah. So the 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 blind, I think he said, is like five hundred. For by the time he put wood in it, and he got some windows for it and stuff like that, but it it came together really well. And we still have to go out and cut the the windows out uh, of the actual wood, and then just place the the glass in. But so is the wrench? I'm assuming not, because the other guys clearly left theirs, but they don't have to clear it out once they end their lease with. No, so because like the guy who owns it also kind of hunts it as well. And so he was like, hey, like, if you, whatever you guys want to do, this is like, you can do it. You know, as long as, like, we can still hunt, we're fine, you know. So they've kind of given Eli and Frank free reign to kind of do what they want and work with the feeders and replace some blinds and stuff like that. So they're high fence on the whole property? No. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, But, yeah, so that's cool. So are you part of the lease, too, or do you get to go out because they're family? I'm not, but I get the, you know, the plus one. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's the way to do it. Yeah, exactly. That's like what we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, what's better than owning a boat is having a friend that That's owns a right. boat. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. what's better <laughs> than having a leech? Yeah. A couple of them. What's, what's, the plus one on yeah. the lease. Yeah. But <laughs> I do got to earn the grunt. Well, you know, I got to earn it a little bit. Yeah. So that's why I was out there Saturday to help build the blind, which I don't mind doing. But, uh, yeah, definitely save me some money. <laughs> yep. Well, let's roll into our articles. Dang. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into it and then do a really good. Uh, Did we get any questions? No questions, surprisingly. Mm. I'm going to call out our listeners because they've we have – Gotten multiple questions every week since we started. See, I had a question I was going to submit, but I, we could save it for a topic. Uh, ask your question. Okay, let's see if we want to do it. Uh, what do you guys do? You guys have a bug out bag, and if so, what do you keep in it? So I actually <laughs> used to. <laughs> I knew he would. <laughs> I used. I, I see a couple me. of them here. Pick around. Me, yeah. pick me, pick me. <laughs> I used to actually have like a a, a go bag. Uh-huh. A, a like, did you buy the kit or did you put it together? No, I so I always buy a kit. And then I take out what I don't want, and then I add in, uh, add and subtract, make it my own. But it's the same way with, like, first aid kits is why I say I always buy um, kit. Uh, but I've had a few of them, but over the past, like, couple years, I've been super lackadaisical in not putting stuff back, so it's very sparsed out. But I know oh, where I, like you take it out. And, and then, then I, like, haven't, oh. I haven't, like, put it back in yet. I haven't really felt the need to, um, but things are a little bit changing. Well, why don't you guys explain what a bug-out bag is to y'all in case the listeners don't know? So a bug-out bag or a go bag, as I like to refer to them, is a bag that is always ready. So if something happened and you needed to get out super quick, you just grab one bag and you can be out the door in less than five minutes. Um. So, in a natural disaster type scenario, so, so say you live on the coast and a hurricane is coming in, it's a freak storm that's just happened, they didn't tell you for a week to get out, and you need to get out right then and there, you have a bag, you're getting out and getting ready to go. So, you're taking, like, obviously, like, good things to have in there, first aid kit, some money... If you're getting Clothing. into the getting into the nitty gritty, I'd say anything that you need to survive for three days. Three days, okay. So that's what you. What that's you that's that would be my baseline. Okay. So three days worth of food, three days kind of worth of water, and I'm not talking about copious amounts, but enough to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. 
type like a water filter system in there i prefer water filter systems over actual bottles and stuff like that just because it's smaller you can end up putting more stuff in. maybe put a couple bottles that way you don't have to work for every drip right um i put 550 paracord i have knives lighters fire starter do you keep a firearm I declined to answer. <laughs> uh, I know like, the answer. Like I said, like <laughs> I, I think said, that is the answer. Yeah, that's the answer. <laughs> uh, like I said, mine's kind of been sparsed out here recently. Yeah. I moved some of like the first 80 type stuff or uh, like fire starters to more of my hunting bags. Yeah, hunting, camping. But I mean, in all actuality, I could probably get what I need and be out the door in less than five minutes right Dude, now anyway. Okay, you back your truck into here. If you're saying five minutes, I could load a lot of stuff in your truck in here in five minutes. Yeah, because all the... Look, water's right here. Boom, check. You know, I know you have, like, all your hunting gear and, like, but your the th- Yeti box The thing with a go bag is a lot of people don't have what we have in this garage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just live in either apartments or a house or they're at work or they're in their car already. I... At one point, did have one in my office. I had one in my truck, and Dang. I've had one in my home. Dang. But I've always kind of been like the prepper weird kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have one. You don't? I got no. ideas of, like, what I would grab real quick if I That's had That's the to. other thing. I've thought, like, oh, if such and such happened, what would I want with me? The but issue with that is then you're kind of in a panic mode there for a minute, you and you, you miss things, or if you have to, like, me – I got to get Hatch, too. Hatch doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. I also got to round up Cynthia and make sure she knows what's going on. And, but here in the past few weeks, I've actually started talking with her about us building a couple more and having them on us. I just grabbed my bottle of my, my drain. I'm good to go. <laughs> but, but I mean, how it's going to go. Yeah, my, I, I guess I've sort of transitioned my go bags now for the most part. I have my hunting go bag and my yeah. fishing go bag. Yeah. <laughs> so mm-hmm. a couple of different ones. But, yeah, I mean, flashlights, zip ties, duct tape, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Except for nice. yeah, first, yeah, you bet. Yeah, water filter. Yeah. yeah. But I'd say you're probably better prepared than most people because you actually have wa- – or wildlife survival training and wilderness first aid and all this other stuff. Oh, yeah. No, and, our, and our guys, you know, every game warden's got a go bag. Absolutely. And I don't think we actually mentioned in the beginning. Graham, would you care to actually <laughs> explain what, you, what your career was? Oh, I mean, I'm, just, I'm a retired game warden now. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, no. Um, yeah, that, so I worked for Texas Parks and Wildlife for close to 27 years, and um, – it was a great career. I I'm, I'm, was blessed to spend time with those 551 game wardens and the 120 support staff members and folks from other divisions and agencies. It's all we always say the law enforcement is just one big team, and Parks and Wildlife is no exception there. So it's a it's a team sport for sure. But um, yeah, so when I retired back in uh, what what a strange time to retire back in uh, April of uh, 2020. But, oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I was a director of law enforcement for Texas Parks and Wildlife. So, um, and I was just, you know, incredibly blessed to be in that position. And uh, it certainly meant and means a great deal to me. So, so let me ask you this. To be in that position, what did you do throughout your career to get yourself set up for that position? Because uh, not every game warden gets that opportunity to be the director. Yeah, no, I, I think to, to me it's real, real simple. There were, there were people that believed in me along the way. You know, I didn't. I don't think I really had much to do with it, but it was more of, of uh, 
the fact that people believed and trusted me along the way and I had uh, bosses and supervisors and partners and friends that, that in my family, obviously, mm-hmm. my parents, uh, my sister, my brother, uh, that, that uh, you know, allowed me to follow my passion. And uh, it's funny because we were ta- I was talking about this with uh, Jake McMahon, a game warden down in uh, Port O'Connor. We were fishing a, a tournament a couple weeks ago. I can remember he asked me about the, the same question, you know, sort of like when did you think about putting in for, you know, for, for, uh, for jobs and, and promotions and all those, all those things that go along with it. And I told him, I said, when I had like three years on, I said, you know, I, t- I told my friends, I, I, would, I will never, would never consider promotion. <laughs> you know, there's no way. I mean, I love being a field game warden. And there's a lot of truth to that because it's the best job in the world. But, uh, you know, things, doors opened and things changed and opportunities arose and allowed me to promote uh, to sergeant first uh, in CID, uh, criminal, investigation, criminal investigation division. Then uh, I went to uh, internal affairs from there. Went to special operations after that, and then uh, uh, became colonel. And so, again, it's just a complete uh, blessing to work with and be around uh, those, the, what I consider to be the most professional law enforcement outfit in the country. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. So uh, I do have a follow-up question. Yeah, I'm go wait for till, it, Zach. No, but I'm going to wait till his, um, like the end, if that's mm, cool. That's great. Uh, so we always ask two questions to our guests. Yeah. Um, how, what got you into hunting and fishing? Okay, so I mentioned my I mentioned the support of my parents, and that has a that has a lot to to do with it. And the other the other thing is is we had a pretty extensive library growing up, uh, and so I, w- I would love to go into the library and grab books and look at books. and And we had a lot of a lot of wildlife and history of Texas, and so I think really that's what kind of kind of sparked the the initial uh, flame. Uh, and then I think that although I never met my two grandfathers, they died before I was born. Um, I think that we sort of we carry that legacy with us from generation to generation, and they were big hunters, and I have a lot of pictures of them when they were hunting all over Texas mm-hmm. and Mexico. Um, and so it was the, the, the fire was within, right? Uh, and my dad took us, my brother and I, and some friends fishing. He would take us deep-sea fishing, but a neighbor a couple of streets, a couple of houses down the street, a doctor, he's a, a local doctor in Houston, they moved in when I was eight years old, and I got to know them very well. My parents got to know um, my good friend is Carlos Vaccaro, and his father is Dr. Vaccaro, and so we got to know that family very well. And about a year after that, they asked they asked me to go to Mexico with them on a dove hunt to uh, Tamaulipas, and uh, I said, "Well, I'm going to ask my parents, but there's no way they're going to let me go." And I went over and asked my parents, and they said, "Sure." They didn't bat an eye. And the funny thing is, is that <laughs> you know we. Uh, I missed the first day of school from fourth grade to ninth grade, the first two or three days of school every year because we were hunting in Mexico. So I'd always get back and go to school. I was like three days behind. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, and, and I look at that now, and everyone just shudders when they hear that. And maybe that's what happened to me. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was well, – first was, day's always syllabus. Day that's right. Way. That's, yeah. right that's right. Let <laughs> me ask you to follow up on that. Yeah. Do you think that having those experiences was – you gained a lot of life experiences from going on those trips and oh, missing no question. those no couples question. of days of school. No question. No yeah. qu- as far as the value, yeah. what 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 had more weighted value is, mm-hmm. I can remember calling my parents from Tampico, Mexico, and school starts the next day and saying we're not going to be back for four days, and they were like, "Okay, we'll drive safe. We'll be careful." <laughs> and I think that that's you know that's something that, of course, I don't think I would would have done that with my daughters now today, mm-hmm. but um, 
but they're, you know, I, I say that, but who knows? But, uh, so yeah, so we started going to Mexico, uh, when I was nine and then we started hunting a lot in Texas and we continued going to Mexico once or twice a year, sometimes twice a year to hunt and fish. We would camp out on the beaches down at La Pesca at the, where the Soto La Marina comes into the, to the Gulf. And we talk about our Laguna Madre. Well, they have the real Laguna Madre. It's about twice as big as ours. And we fished all over that and for snook and redfish and trout. And with the longest we camped out on the beach was 10 days. Mm. And that's a, anyone that's camped out on the beach knows after about day three, that's a lot. things can get a little dicey. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we, we had it going on. And, and those are times that, that uh, we, I, stopped going, I stopped doing that trip. I still go to Mexico. I just don't go there just because of the problems of driving through uh, San Fernando and going across the border there. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, I wish we still could. But, and, and I think I mentioned before on another podcast that that, pre- that prepping and that preparing for those trips, that was what it was all about. You know, it was getting ready mm-hmm. the week before and packing. And, of course, back then, you know, we would take aim- we'd get ammo boxes and fill them with shotgun shells and put them under the seat and smuggle them into Mexico you know, to hunt with. And now, of course, you, you do that today and you're going you're you're gonna, you're gonna to be in a bind. <laughs> and, and I'm not recommending that. But, uh, but, yeah, things were just different. You know, it was different. But, and I think that relates also to access issues, just generally speaking. It was just easier. We're talking about early 80s. Um, and it was just a little bit easier then, I think, than it is now. We, all, mm-hmm. we played baseball, too. We did other stuff, but baseball wasn't all year long either. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Um, and then the other question we always ask is, uh, what is your most memorable hunting or fishing trip or both? Yeah. I mean, to me, it's always the last one. It's like the last one is, is the one that sticks in my memory mm-hmm. the most. Seeing my, uh, my dad catch a walleye a couple of years ago at 90 years old mm. in uh, Northern Minnesota is pretty, it, it wasn't my fish. It was his fish, mm. but seeing him catch that fish and, that was that was probably the most meaningful fish that I've seen caught in a long, long time. Anytime I, you take a, a youngster, a young person fishing or hunting, first I was talking before the show started about a lease that we had up in some property that we hunted up in Junction, and uh, we we took we had thirteen kids get their first deer on that piece of property. Oh, thirteen wow. different. My daughter, one of my daughters, and then. A good friend of mine, his two sons, and another friend's son and daughter, and just the list goes on and on. So, those to me are always the most important. Mm-hmm. Um, the the gentleman I was telling you about that introduced me to hunting, Doctor Vaccaro, he, we took him hunting last year to Blanco, mm. and he didn't get a deer, but uh, he's almost almost blind. But the fact that we got to take him out and put him in a blind and take care of him and watch those roles being changed was pretty was pretty incredible and very very meaningful and spiritual so mm, yeah so that's those are th- those are the kind of hunting hunting and fishing trips that really matter to me yeah. yeah no i think that's great it always is exciting to take a young person fishing yeah or a young person hunting and being there for their first experience i know shoot all three of us have taught 101 classes fly fishing classes to one we're there where people catch their very first fish and i mean that's a special moment to be right. there when it, it is when they catch their first fish. It's like you are reliving that through them. Yeah, that's you, can, you can never experience, you can that never again. experience and it's, it again, and, and you're it, almost more excited uh, for them. Hundred percent. And it's like it's another first fish for you. You're yeah. exactly right. You're reliving yeah. it vicariously through them. And 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 again, I mean, we uh, we talk about meaningful fish to sort of 
sort of change change the subject a little bit. I was telling Evan on the way up here that we were fishing a tournament a couple of years ago. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, actually, down in Port O'Connor, the Masters Cup and Masters Cup. It seems sounds so important, and why would I be fishing that? But anyway, that's you what get a green called. jacket if you win. That's it. That's it. <laughs> but it's a great it's a great tournament. Great guys it's at Augusta National. <laughs> that's it. And we're fishing in a little tank. <laughs> but um, but no, seriously, it's great, and the money goes to gear up for game wardens, and it's a it's a fantastic group of people that support parks and wildlife and game wardens and conservation a lot a lot of folks that are very very heavily involved in conservation well the short version of, of it is you have to, you know your two days of four longest redfish and it's all catch and release and you measure them and let the fish go well very meaningful fish was a 21 inch redfish with 14 minutes to go on day two <laughs> in that tournament that we were able to catch and and so that 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 was a meaningful fish but uh but it doesn't mean as much as the other ones by, mm-hmm. by far um, I don't. Why don't we roll into our articles? Yeah, I'll go first. We don't have a Florida man. No, remember I just yell Florida man. There you go. <laughs> so it was better last week. <laughs> <laughs> so Florida man is uh, articles that are, you know, that I find online that have Florida man in the title. And this week, Florida man tries for days to get large iguana out of his toilet. <laughs> this as, as, is as of 3.24 p.m. today. Uh-huh. Um, still trying? No, he did no. get it out. <laughs> okay. He found a large iguana in his toilet and tried unsuccessfully for several days to remove it before calling a trapper. Basically, every time he would try to go capture it and pull it out, it would like go <laughs> into the toilet to where he couldn't reach it. <laughs> and then would it, it just it, back couple, out or something? Yeah, it, it, it would like poke its head out or back out, and then he would go again, and it would like scrape. Eventually, he got a hold of its tail, but ended up pulling its tail off in <laughs> an effort to pull it out. Mm-hmm. And what the trapper ended up doing is using a snake. He used a stick and shoved it in there, so it had something to latch onto. When it latched onto it, he just pulled it right. Re- out. Pulls it right out. It tastes like chicken too, I think. Yeah, most not that, do, not that right? you would want to eat one that was in the toilet. In the toilet. In the toilet. Yeah, yeah. Marinade. Yeah, marinade. I want to know how it got in his house. Well, pipes. Uh, pipes I think right? they're pretty prolific. Like, and don't snakes come up with the pipes all the time? Not all the time, but like occasionally. I don't know about I that. I don't know. That's not a thought I want. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you have to worry about it here, but. But what's amazing <laughs> is that this. <laughs> they do. <laughs> yeah. Like, you hear those stories what's every a, now and then. What's amazing is that the iguana even had room to crawl in there and be able to turn around to stick its head back out, or did it come up through the drain? I have no idea. Probably came up. Either through way, the drain. either way, he said its head was sticking out, and it's, he said its tail was sticking out, so it had plenty of room to like twist around. around. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, but I imagine it came up, poked his head out, and was like, "I don't want to be here," and then turned around and left. Think it turned around in the bowl like a cul-de-sac yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like, like a no cul-de-sac <laughs> <laughs> wrong bathroom <laughs> so yeah that's florida man for this week it I is uh tried unsuccessfully four days to uh-huh. get an iguana out of his toilet did it say what part of florida i feel like this is keys you feel yeah, like this yeah. is it's keys. gotta be it has yeah, to be south be. Florida. miami yeah somewhere yeah, in the south. south yeah it did not say because I've never seen an iguana in the panhandle of Florida. No. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe, but, but I imagine then you see them in Gulf Shores. and Yeah. It does not say what area yeah. of Florida. Have you guys ever been to Key West? I have not. I would uh, like to go talk and fish. Never, chickens or roosters everywhere. Yeah, I've they do. I've never yeah. been true South Florida, and I want to go. I want to go to that uh, little point where it's the most southern point in the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Key West that. is cool. We should take a trip there. And I want to take binoculars. I'd like to go tarpon the, fishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's big boy stuff. That run we had last week uh, was from Ernest Hemingway's, like, there's a, a rum distillery there that's based on Ernest Hemingway called Papa's Pilar because the boat that he would go fly fish for tarpon was called the Pilar. So, yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, on patrol, you ready? On patrol. Yeah, you All bet. Right. All right. So Graham is presenting on patrol this week since he has life experience. Wow, that that brings back <laughs> memories. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, one, where do I begin with these stories? But uh, one, there's several probably that I, I shouldn't talk about. But uh, there's one in particular that's kind of interesting. So it would have been around 1995, 96, somewhere in there. And a, a, a legendary game warden, Luke McMahon, and I were working together. Um, he's since retired and is doing, I believe, security out at the Wagner Ranch. Oh, nice. Yeah. But uh, anyway, Luke's a fantastic human being and taught me so much. When, when you mentioned all – when I mentioned the, the folks that have helped me along the way, he's certainly one of them. But uh, anyway, so we were out working night hunters in South Tyler County. And now this isn't like everyone's like, oh, Tyler, yeah, I know we're Tyler. No, 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 this is Tyler County, Woodville and this is south of Woodville, uh, not too, you know, right there close to the Jasper County line and the Hardin County line and deep, deep East Texas, uh, really, really close to Louisiana. So we were working night hunters, and we were working the stretch of, uh, of Highway 92 uh, down in the so- southern part of, uh, of the county. And, okay, there's my segue real quick to Dusty Hill of ZZ Top who passed away. Highway 92, they, they mentioned Highway 92 in one of their songs. So just R.I.P. Dusty Hill, I had to, I had to get that out. But uh, so we're working the stretch of Highway 92, and we had caught like two sets of night hunters, and it was, I'd say it's like probably not even 2 a.m. yet. So we had caught two sets of night hunters on the same stretch of road, and this was the, the day before of opening deer season. So it's, you know, first, first weekend in November. Um, a couple of cold fronts have come in, so it's nice and cool. So we handled that, and we wrote them their tickets. There wasn't anything so egregious that they had to go to jail that night. So we handled it all by tickets. And uh, we went to go get, our, get on our set again. And a set is basically a place where you kind of hide off the road to watch what's going on where they can't see you, but you can see the road, a good long stretch of road. And um, we go to – saw a car spotlighting again. So we pull out and, and uh, pass the camp house – and these guys had set up lawn chairs, and they were watching us catch these night hunters. They watching you guys. Yes. <laughs> and as we drove by, they're literally yelling, go get another one. Yeah, and they're clapping, <laughs> and they're standing up. And, and, uh, and I think they might have been even drinking a beer or two. And so we, we stopped the car a couple miles down the road and handled that and turned around and came back by. And there they went again, stood up, <laughs> clapping. And, and uh, they, they were like, hey, are we bothering you? Are we going to mess anything up? And I'm like, yeah. You know, you might want to kind of pull off the road a little bit there. You know, I think that, that might uh, – yeah. That, so that was, uh, that was one of the more humorous uh, night hunting episodes that, that I've ever seen. I mean, I've seen a lot of them. I've, I've seen – you know, we've, we've seen guys pulling cattle trailers that have shot the decoy deer. And, I mean, I could go on and on, but – that one, the lawn chair story, is one that will live in infamy. So, yeah. that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Let me ask you a question. What is one of the more egregious uh, violations of public wildlife that you've seen? 
just to put to like maybe scale of sure reference. Well, I mean, I'm aware of lots of them, uh, you know, and I certainly there's game wardens out there that have made many larger cases. And I than, don't want to step have. on his toes, but a game warden in a lot of counties is normally the first one on scene. They also act as a peace officer, officer so they've seen a lot of. Stuff. Yeah, oh, no, yeah, I'm no, talking no, wildlife specifically. Yeah, but absolutely no. Game wardens are peace officers, certainly, and they back up law enforcement, other agencies every day. Good, good point on that. But um, I would say one of the ones that I'm that really got me uh, happened up in the Panhandle, and it was a group of out-of-state hunters that came in to hunt antelope and they ended up finding a herd of antelope and of course this particular pasture was a big pasture but uh like all pastures in texas eventually you get to a fence for the most part and they ran down the antelope in their truck and they killed i believe it was 27 like running over them right ran over 27 antelope. oh no yeah and uh left every one of them what? And, yeah, didn't harvest anything from them. So it, was, it wasn't yeah. even for sport. No. I mean, yeah. not that it could be to yeah. run them over, but like yeah. it's not like they needed the meat. No, no, no. Yeah, so that – and ultimately they, they were they were caught. Uh, but those types of cases, the wasting of wildlife, and the, again, I could unfortunately go on and on. I do want to say that the majority of hunters that I ran across in my career and that I'm aware of and that I know are top-notch. Uh, it's the it's the far minority of hunters. I mean, hunters are conservationists. Period. Right. Hunters have been paying for conservation for over a hundred years, and that's why we have duck a duck population, waterfowl population today. That's why we're able to hunt whitetail deer. That's why we have public lands is because of hunters. Period. And so I want to make sure that I'm not giving hunters a bad name, but just like anybody, oh, any I wouldn't group, say that those yeah, were hunters. They're poachers. They're poachers, and there's yeah. and there's a difference. Now, and the other side of the coin is. There's good people that make mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've made them hunting and fishing. Mm-hmm. So, and that's where the discretion is really important, in my opinion, that game wardens have that ability to show that discretion. And, and in many cases, they can. Because you know, sometimes a good person makes a mistake, they need a ticket. Sometimes they need a verbal warning or a written warning. But, but uh, So there's other things that happen to where someone may violate a game or fish law, but they're not a poacher. They just made a mistake. So I wanna, there is a separation there. Mm. What are some of the more common, you know, let's say me and Cliff go out. What are some of the more I <laughs> What are some of the more common violations that you see that good hunters pretty commonly break because it's just a weird yeah, I mean, thing uh, that you run into. Sometimes you know, dove hunting, for example, is unplugged shotgun. People just don't check. Mm. So, oh, pump yeah. or an automatic, there's there's a lot of times there'll be a no no unplugged shotgun. You'll have that, uh, no fishing license, no hunting license, those types of cases. Um, so, you know, you know, or slightly undersized fish. Those are sort of day-to-day, couple of doves over the limit, those types of things mm-hmm. that happen routinely. Uh, tagging violations of white-tailed deer. Uh, although I would say that people are getting more educated on, on that as well. So, uh, But, yeah, I mean, just as you can imagine, there's a traffic code and there's wildlife, parks and wildlife code. And so you you see some a lot of the minor offenses mm-hmm. um, a lot more more commonly than you would see the the major offenses. What one one I think a very important is 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 a case or or, or just a law is PFDs. And a lot of people view PFDs as minor, but they're not minor. They save they will save your life. And so one one thing that I I. I, I, there was only one instance in my life, in my career as a game warden, where I wrote a warning 
for a child under 13 not not having a life jacket on. I wrote a warning in one in one situation. Every other time I wrote a I wrote a citation because again that that per, that that child that four or five six year old child if they go overboard and I mean it's it happens so quick and I've unfortunately have seen that and been around those cases where we're having to to locate a drowned victim, which is very difficult on the family and difficult on the respond on the responding officers. So, the the life jacket thing is important. Some people view it as minor, but it's it's very very important. It's one thing that can can save your save your life. So there's my water safety plug mm. for the. And if you're day. under 13, you have to have it on. Correct. Right. If if the boat if the boat's moving. Okay. Correct. Yeah. It's funny. My dad bought a John boat when we were kids, and we went out in Burning Lake the day we bought it. And uh, the only time I've been stopped by a uh, <laughs> by a ranger in Texas was that trip. He came kayaking over, and we were on trolling motor, and uh, we didn't. My dad didn't know about the PFD law, and so we did. He get ticketed? No, we got warning because yeah. we took it out right then. You, my dad was super apologetic. Like I didn't know. Like, well, that was the one time. So. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. he there's, was the warning. There was like three of us there because there was four. <laughs> there was four kids. Three of us were under thirteen. I think. Yeah. I I saw this thing on social media floating around, and this made me think of it. This guy got like a little Tykes blue boat. I saw it. Oh, I saw and that. He put and a he trolling actually... motor on it, and he actually got it registered. Uh-huh. And the picture is the game warden giving him his ticket, his no, registration his, back. Yeah, oh, he yeah. got he got away with it because yeah, everybody was thinking anything? it was a ticket. Everyone was, was thinking yeah. it was a ticket, but right. it was legal. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. He's a legend now. Because yes, right, if you yeah. put a trolling motor, you have to register. It. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. And it was like. A children's like I'm boat that you would su- put in a t- in a pool. Yeah, like a sandbox toy. Yeah, yeah. like I'm surprised it looked like one of those inflatable swans, but it was it was it one inflatable. Like a hard, yeah. Yeah, hard, yeah, side, it's a yeah, hard yeah. side, like a the little tyke's car that everyone uh-huh. yeah thinks of. Oh man, that's great. <laughs> but in a boat, I'm surprised that it actually floated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought that was great. Um, Zach, you have a creature watch for, for us. Watch? Okay, yeah. here we go. All right, guys. So a little different today. I'm going to bring you the origin of zombies. Is this where your bug out bag question came from? Kind of. It is, actually. Yeah. Uh, so, Ken and I have been watching The Walking Dead, you know, getting ready for the last season. And uh, I was like, like, how, like, who came up with the word zombie? Because it's like, kind of like a made-up word, right? Uh, so, I started doing some research. Uh, when would you guys say that the first time the word zombie was used? What year? I don't think that it's actually a made-up word. No, I, we're going to get there. I think that it, <laughs> no, you're gonna get there now. <laughs> I think that there's actually a a practice in voodoo culture. Yes, and we're stuff gonna like get that. Yes, we're gonna get there, Cliff. So, do you want to tell his story? <laughs> do you want to go with the creature? Just watch? give him your notes, <laughs> <laughs> or do you want to go give? Think about it. Give me your date for when you think the word zombie was used in writing. Well, a lot of voodoo culture in America, I'm sure. He always spends so much time thinking. So while he's thinking out 1272. loud. 1272. Okay, 1272. What do you think? 1450. Okay. Cliff? I mm. know. <laughs> oh, he's he's going to go way back. <laughs> no, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to do more of a century. I'm going to say sometime in the 15, 1600s. Okay. Uh, so it's 1819. The oh, first time wow. that uh, it was used by Robert Southery, who was a poet. Um, now, there are similar stories of creatures who are kind of like zombies, but they weren't given that name. And that was in 1697, so you would have been right on that one. Um, Through the voodoo culture and stuff? N- uh, not, not the 1690s. Um, the ancient Greeks actually 
pinned down bodies with rocks, and they believed that was because they were afraid of them rising from the dead. So mm. similar things go way, way back. Um, but like you said, the word zombie is actually based on an old Congo word uh, called nvumbi, right, which means a body without a soul. But like you were saying, Cliff, is that actually the common word zombie is from Haitian uh, folklore, which is also where like a majority of the people practice voodoo, uh, the religion of voodoo, right? And so the folklore says that See, these, I might sound dumb, but I ain't dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so these uh, these uh, Haitians would practice voodoo, right? And they would have a person called a bokor, right? And uh, they would use this like concoction they would make to kind of give people like. These zombie-like appearance, like they were... It was more of a trance. Right, exactly. Um, And they would call them one who walks the world to torture the living, essentially. And um, eventually, if the Bokor didn't do it right or gave them a little too much, they would actually go into a coma and they would bury them. For three days later, they would kind of awaken from their coma and break out of their grave, which is kind of where like the rising dead sort of thing came from. Um, Now, a disclaimer, most people who practice voodoo now do not believe in zombies. Right, but you know, a couple hundred years ago they did. Um, so a couple things: if you don't know what a zombie is, they are human height. They look like people, but they are rotting flesh. Uh, they don't speak. They usually have grunts with an insatiable appetite. Can you answer this in like the Haitian culture and folklore uh-huh. and stuff? In our minds, and Walking Dead, mm-hmm. the zombies went after human flesh and predominantly brains. Right. Um, guess they wanted CWD. Um, <laughs> but in Haitian culture, are they going after human flesh or are they just walking around or? So the whole purpose was just to torture the living. Okay. Right. It was just to be one who walks, who listens to a person to torture the living. That, I, have that a was question, the... I have a question. Do, uh-huh. you, do you have to have a hunting license to hunt a zombie? <laughs> yeah. I would say no. I bet it's about like uh, hogs on a private ranch. Or an exotic. Or is it more like Sasquatch? Hey, we have, have. We actually have, we a, have a Texas a, tag right, right here right. to hunt <laughs> so you, We know that you have to have one for Sasquatch. Not that I would ever want to shoot Sasquatch for the record. But <laughs> I say if you need one for Sasquatch, you need you one need for You need one a for zombie. a zombie. So. Or the Chupacabra. Yeah. What do you think? You know? That's, but that was your first question for your game warden application. <laughs> Yes. So, which I have here in my hand. <laughs> uh, so, our idea originated, uh, like I said, from this Haitian uh, culture uh, during the 17th century. Um, a lot of people actually attribute that the reason why this rose after this time was because it's also kind of representat- like representative of uh, like slavery. Because like it's people being like essentially told what to do, like held within their chains, and they have to do the bidding of the person who made them do it right a um, couple other things uh, they kind of rose to pop culture after Night, Night of, of the, the Living, Living Dead, Dead exactly 1968 um, some people believe that the reason why it took off in the 60s was because after we dropped the bombs in World War II people started associating with like major things that could wipe out populations with like one event and so, like, before that time, people didn't really think about, like, one thing that could potentially, like, end humanity until that time. So then after that, people started really relating to the idea of, like, one big plague or one big thing changing it. Let's see. 1932 was the first time it was actually brought to film with the movie White Zombie. And then 
Let's see. Last thing is the CDC gave in to the zombie craze and actually created a zombie preparedness web website. A few yeah, they years actually ago. give you like things Tips. to put in your your zombie go bag. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. And that yeah. was obviously I think before it was the been pandemic. Like <laughs> Two thousand. When did uh, Walking Dead come out? Two thousand ten. I want to say about 2011, 2012, they actually had it up. Yeah. I don't know if it's still up. but I don't know. So I have a question for y'all. What's y'all's favorite zombie movie? Night of the Living Dead. Honestly, Living Dead? I, I think Night of the Living Dead is a little of a cliche answer. I'm sorry. It's so good, though. And plus, the it's ending totally catches you off guard. No, I think that it's an okay movie. I think the representation of... Walking Dead zombies and stuff is more of what I actually have in mind when I picture zombies. And I think The Walking Dead, up until the later seasons, did an excellent job. Can anyone name the movie that Bill Murray played himself in the zombie movie and was actually killed? Uh, That would be Zombieland. Yeah, that's correct. Which is my favorite zombie movie. There you go. (laughs) Is it really? Yeah. Also, Shaun of the Dead is... Shaun of the Dead's great. ...is a good movie as well. Shaun of the the Dead Dead is good. Have you guys seen the movie from the 80s, Zombie... Yes, the zombie B movie. Yeah. Oh, it's super weird. Okay, so uh, guilty pleasure of mine all through like high school and early college <laughs> was B movies, and they were fantastic. Yeah. Up until about that point, I actually had a thing about uh, horror movies. Mm-hmm. Like I would actually get scared, and then I started watching like B horror movies. And changes it. And you can actually there like the plot and like. The absurdity is like in your face. So then when you go back to watch like the actual scary ones, you're picking out all the holes and then it makes every horror movie hilarious yeah. at that point. Well, just then when you said zombie, it made me think of the cranberries too. So, uh, yeah. Zombies. <laughs> well, cool. Uh, is uh, that all for zombies? That's all for zombies. You had a question, didn't you, that you uh, were going to ask? I was going to ask Graham why they never created a Bigfoot task force. <laughs> with the Texas Game Wardens while he was on there. Well, we did. We, if you if you had any other idea of the number of calls that people we have, in Texas actually call yes. on Bigfoot, a oh my lot. gosh, all the time, <laughs> and it kind of got a lot of attention because the hunting question came up, and a reporter <laughs> asked that question in a, like a public records request, and it came up, and it was I think published in either the Houston Chronicle or the Austin American Statesman, and it actually, you know, mentioned that you have to have a hunting license to hunt Sasquatch, and <laughs> you can imagine the the fallout of that, but yeah. I know a bunch of, like, ranches, uh, if you go up towards Canyon Lake, there's some Bigfoot cutouts, I know if you go up towards La Meta, oh, yeah, there's, there's ranches yeah. with uh, Bigfoot, like, cutouts and stuff like that, that as you're driving down the Kinda road, see. you get it out of the corner of your eye, and you got to do a double take. Yeah. yeah. Uh, have people called in for creatures other than like Chupacabra, which would be South Texas and mm-hmm. Bigfoot? Anything yep. else that's like a big hitter yeah. maybe that we Zach I mean, should cover? Right. Well, no. I mean, I think the I think the Black Panther is the big one. You know, people are 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 always talking about the Black Panther that lives under their their house or that they see come down and grab a chicken or something like that. So yeah, Black Panthers, mountain lions, those, and of course, mountain lions exist in Texas and black bears exist in Texas too, especially out west. Um, but, uh, you know, they mainly come in from Mexico, but yeah, I mean, we've got a pretty strong, especially in West Texas, a, a mountain lion, um, population. I wouldn't say that, you know, league city has a big mountain lion population around Houston does, but of course we get, we would get the calls. So, yeah. and, and, and of course, you know, we take those calls seriously and handle them like you 
You always would. So the Bigfoot calls, y'all have to take them serious as your professionals. Well, to some some degree. To some degree, yeah. (laughs) What does that kid out look like? Like, what are the the warden who gets the call for Bigfoot? What is he packing in his truck to go (laughs) check out Bigfoot? As you said with your question, I declined to answer that question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, our our game wardens are are certainly prepared and, and, uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they worry too much about, about Bigfoot. <laughs> How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. You, you, ha- you had another question from uh, Instagram. Oh, I did. So, a few weeks ago, Graham, and I'm sorry I'm putting you on blast, but I kind of gave you a warning before. Sure. <laughs> a few weeks ago, I'm just scrolling through Instagram, and I go to Jesse Griffith's page, and he's talking about the tartar sauce down at King's Inn. Right. And I go back, and I'm checking it, reading through the comments, and I see where you people are saying you have to have your hat off. They yes. don't split check. So yes. it's very old school in style. And you also said don't walk in with your muddy wading boots. Right. They will make you walk, mop, mop the, the floor. floor. Yeah. And then you never responded after people were asking for this <laughs> this question. So I thought I would bring it up so our listeners get a first hand. I don't know if you ended up responding to it after I've checked it again. <laughs> right, right. Well, first of all, I was planning on drinking some more mezcal with Jesse and talking about that story, but no, I'm kidding. But what a, what a great guy, by the way. And, and you talk about someone that is very focused on conservation in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his the hog book mm-hmm. uh, that he just uh, that he he came out with is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, his art in cooking and he gives so much he gives so much back. I mean, we've asked him. He's helped BHA and CCA and the Parks and Wildlife Foundation and Texas Wildlife Association. The list is so long, but he is a he's a rock star in the conservation world. Um, and his restaurant, Daidui, is, is incredible. If you're ever in Austin and get a chance to eat there, I highly recommend that. Yeah, we went last year for your birthday. My birthday, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great, great spot. One of our favorite, probably my favorite restaurant in, in, in Austin. But, uh, but, yeah, so I'm not saying it was – it was me that would have ever gone to the King's Inn, a sacred ground, wearing muddy boots. But let's just say. We all, we all explained. I don't know the deal with the King's Inn other than what you briefly mentioned. So I've, what's I've never what's been, the King's Inn? I've and, never been there, but I hear it's fantastic tartar sauce. Like and the where's best. the King's Inn at? It's off of, on Baffin Bay. On okay. The shore, on the shore of Baffin yeah. Bay. Out, just outside of Rivera. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's been there a long, long time. The... The the food is incredible. Uh, yeah, don't wear your cap, your baseball cap in there, and 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 don't ask to split the check. I mean, I've seen 
I've seen tables of 14 people asked to split the check 10 ways and they, um, they that is like, not no, is that, that is not taken kindly to but but the staff there is super super nice but anyway so let's just say hypothetically a group of four wade fishermen have been fishing you know pretty much all day they've gotten in and out of the boat so they got a little mud on their boots and they pull up via boat because you can on this particular day it was calm so the story goes and so uh <laughs> and so you, you know you pull your boat up there and tie it off and hop out and kind of stomp stomp through the mud there on the way to the restaurant and you do your best to wipe off of course i mean it's not like we were raised yeah, in a you barn. weren't being rude well it wasn't me but yeah they weren't being rude <laughs> yeah. and so uh and so anyway so they and and pretty much i'd say 90 percent of their, their their boots were pretty clean but they apparently not clean enough so they went and sat down, and of course they got served and and uh, had a great meal, and uh, just came time to sign the check, and they brought the check and a couple of mops, and <laughs> there wasn't much discussion. It was just here you go, handed them, handed the handed the mop, and uh, they they mopped backwards the way that they came in, and they cleaned it up, and everybody was happy. <laughs> but there was they literally brought mops out. They with the literally check. brought mops with the check. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> now, I haven't been, but I've heard a lot about it from numerous people, and it has skyrocketed to the top of my Texas culinary places that I need to go to, and I plan on going very soon. So, Let's try it. Yeah, so you get, the, you, know, you get the tomato salad, you get the tomatoes, and you get the tartar sauce. And I would get, if I was going to go for the first time, I'd say get the fried black drum, all the drums local. Get the fried black drum and the shrimp. Um, and uh, man, maybe some oysters, but it's it's inc- it's all family style, and it is incredible. It's, it's great. It's, I mean, it's making my mouth water right now. So. <laughs> so, Graham, since you've been retired, what have you? What are the projects that you've been working on? Well, I took it. So I retired in uh, in April of 2020. You know, obviously, right there, smack dab, and, and of course, I had submitted my retire my retirement sooner than that, but that was the. It wasn't like day. COVID hit, and you're like, uh, yeah, oh yeah. In fact, I hated to leave during COVID because there was so much game wardens. Again, I mean, we, policy changes and things. Need, well, there yeah. was that, but also the game wardens were responding. You know, they were taking vaccines across all over the state. They were taking yeah. medical supplies, gloves, hand sanitizer, all that <laughs> stuff early on in COVID. I mean, game wardens were on the in the front lines of that right. stuff. And they shut down the uh, academy too, so probably no new game wardens right, coming in. Right, well, right. they shut down. Not the academy. They, they shut down access. They shut down okay. access. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't submit an application. Right. You right. Do right. So for a year, I mean, there hasn't yeah. been any new recruits or anything. They, yeah, they, they just recently graduated a school. But, gotcha. But, uh, but, yeah, so there was a lot going on, and I kind of felt like I was leaving them in alerts, but my paperwork had been submitted months before, uh, and so it was sort of out of my control. But uh, so that was that was tough. But I went to work for the 100 Club of Central Texas, which is a nonprofit that serves six counties around Austin, Travis County, Williamson County, Bell, Bastrop, Hayes. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it basically, we have a mission. In fact, we just uh, supported a family. We're in the process of supporting a family of an awesome police officer who was killed in, in the line of duty. Uh, we step in and we support those families immediately financially and then long-term emotionally. Uh, so it's a very meaningful job. It means a lot to me. I'm honored to have have that job. And I'm the executive director of there. What it, say that? What is the group again? It's the 100 Club of Central Texas. Okay, are the and ones with the stickers? That's on the ones with stickers on the back. Yeah, and there, there's a club here in San Antonio. That's why, because I, yeah. I see them on here in Bear County. Yeah, so we 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 provide support there in the six county region around around uh, uh, Travis County. But yeah, very meaningful. I'm honored to have it. It's a difficult as far as 
you know, sometimes trying to show empathy, proper empathy and respect to those families is, is tough, but not nearly as tough as what they're going through. So that's what I'm doing now. Um, and, uh, but I've also, you know, I've taken on a volunteer role with BHA as the Texas uh, chairman, uh, board chairman. So that's, that's something that's near and dear to my heart. It's a way to give back and a way to support and stay relevant in the conservation world. Uh, and again, it allows us to work with, with uh, you know, m- the many partners that, that create the conservation team in Texas. A few of, you know, would be CCA and Texas Wildlife Association and uh, Parks and Wildlife Foundation, Ducks Unlimited, et cetera. Will you explain to me the Parks and Wildlife Foundation? Yes. Yeah, so I've par- seen it. I've seen all yeah. the advertising. I get sure. the emails. Um, so the Parks and Wildlife Foundation is a, is a nonprofit arm of, that supports, their mission supports the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department and supports okay. conservation. Uh, and so much like BHA supports conservation, public lands, the foundation supports the mission of the department through a nonprofit branch. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and of course they have Stewards of the Wild uh, and Gear Up for Game Wardens. And so they have a lot of avenues to plug funding in, much needed funding uh, for equipment for game wardens is just one thing, that, one of the many things that they do. Okay, so, so they fundraise for That's correct. They fundraise. Texas Parks yeah, and Wildlife. They, they were instrumental in fundraising for the acquisition of the Powderhorn Ranch, Matagorda County. Uh, they've been instrumental, raised over $2 million for Texas game wardens for their, for their equipment. Yeah, they've got, a, they've got a really wide, wide okay. reach. Yeah. yeah. Okay, awesome. But, yeah, so I'm working BHA on a volunteer basis. The 100 Club on my, is my full-time gig. Yeah. So when did you actually become the chair for BHA? It was a little bit after you retired. It was. It was, yeah. Uh, I, it was right around that, that yeah, hey, April, can, May. April. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because right I Right before the summer. I remember talking with them and throwing your, your name out, and I'm sure Evan did. As well, and yeah, and and I think too with BHA, it's interesting because the the I was ex- I was super excited when they named you as the chair. I was yeah. like, oh, things are about to change. I was super happy. Yeah, well, I mean, I think too is that people always think about Texas and they think ninety seven, ninety eight percent, ninety five. You hear all these different numbers as far as how much private land there is in mm-hmm. Texas. You know, and that's true. Texas is a private land state, and 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 landowners in Texas. I mean, that's. That is the param- there are paramount importance to steward our, our fish and wildlife. I, I can't say that enough. But I would argue and say that Texas has probably more or just as much as some other waterfowl states as far as public land access for waterfowl hunting. It's going to rate right there at the top. As far as our river access laws and the right to utilize rivers and streams, few states have what we have mm-hmm, as yeah. far as river access. I mean, there's a lot of states where you can't even anchor your boat in a river. Yeah, yeah and we can walk to it, walk in it, walk that's, on the bank. That, like, that's right. Yeah. Well, so, you actually, and we get this question a lot, what is the rule on can you walk on the bank because you hear about the floodplain? You know, what is your, what is your, prof- yeah, yeah, what yeah, is your it, opinion it, it, for people? It, it kind of depends, really, but the bottom line is, is, this, is the waterway navigable? Okay. okay, and that doesn't have to mean that there's water in it. It just means is it defined as a navigable stream, and so you know is it thirty feet wide? You know what? Th- there's some parameters that go into that. Mm-hmm. There's and really without specifically talking about a certain river, I, I don't necessarily want to just put a paint it, paint it with a broad brush. But I think for the most part, you pay attention. 
you know, pay attention to, to, to that gradient boundary, that normal flow line, that vegetation line where that is. Now, there's some, there's some situations where there's big, wide sandbars that may be owned by the, the landowner. So, again, you have to be careful with that. But for the most part, it's, it's the gradient boundary. And oh, like in the middle of the river? If there's no, a, not, not the middle. The gradient boundary is, is on each side. I was talking side. about the sandbar section. Oh, the side, it. if it's in the middle, you're good to go. Okay. Yeah, for the, for the most part, on a navigable stream, you're fine. But, you know, you think about the San Gabriel River. is, a, is one that we, we would get calls on all the time. It's a navigable stream. You can fish it. You can get out. As long as you access it through public property, you can walk down the middle of it, the side of it, as long as you're not walking through someone's private property that borders it, you're fine. Mm-hmm. But still, people would call and complain that someone is fishing in front of their house. Well, I, I think that a lot of times, just because you can doesn't always mean that, that you have to, but you don't necessarily even need to engage that person. Just you know, move on, do your fishing. You don't have to get in an argument with them. You're in the right. And the other thing is, if, you, if you're out there and you see some trash, pick it up. You know, pick it up. Let's 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 lead by example in all of this. And 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 again, you look at Alvin Dudo's uh, loco trash bash and how he his work and effort in cleaning up the the Colorado River below Austin. I think that's incredible. And that's the mindset that we all have to have, no matter where we are. Hey, throw a trash bag into your boat if you're going to go down and fish Padre Island National Seashore for a couple of days and spend the night. Take out two or three bags of trash on your way out. Stop it. If everyone did that we'd be in a much, much better situation. Yeah, we announced last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks ago now. Two, two weeks ago that we're doing a deal where people take a trash bag, fill it up, Walmart bag, whatever, fill up with trash, send, send us a picture. picture. We will mail them a sticker. Yeah. That's awesome. And that's, so, that's what it's all. And I think you see a lot of that now. Yeah, you do. You yeah. see it's a mentality, but we just have yeah. to keep spreading the word. So, so my deal is you can legally be there. Doesn't mean you have to engage someone that's screaming at you. Just... It's not yeah. worth the fight. It's not worth the fight, but yeah. but yeah, but it is your it's your right to be there. So and that's that's something that's I mean and there are protections for that. Uh, uh, there are. Gonna be I was yes. going to be I, yeah. yeah. If we're stuck in a situation, absolutely, we can call. Yeah, sure, you can. You can. You can call a game warden. That's right. what they're there for. Okay. Yeah, yeah because yeah. I guess I I guess the rule is someone can't impede your that's correct right to right. legally. Hunt and fish. Well, and and was, are there re- repercussions for people that there? There could be, depending on the level of how much that they they disrupt your 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 lawful right. hunting or fishing okay. by pulling a gun on you. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But <laughs> but it was interesting because I was talking on the way up here. I was talking to Evan, and and it was I was in Hawaii taking my my daughter to to college a, a couple of weeks ago, and we did a do it yourself bonefish a couple of days of do it yourself bonefish on those flats not too far from Waikiki area, you know, on, the, on that side. And we would pull up to these incredible high-end hotels, you know, the hotels that are charging 1000 bucks for the ocean view a night. We weren't staying there, but that's where a lot of the flats were. And we would pull up to the valet, and the valet guys would be like, hey, y'all are fly fishing, come on. They weren't trying to run us off. I was like, hey, we'll walk around the hotel. Nope, you can walk right through the lobby. <laughs> I mean, it was – and they had a sign on both sides of the beach on their property that said, welcome – Fly fishers only. <laughs> <laughs> it said, welcome, just don't bring a spinning rod. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. There were guys out there with spinning rigs. No, it was absolutely. No, it was just the, the fact that that kind of stuff is going on. That attitude. That of, attitude in Hawaii was incredible. Yeah. And yeah. you saw so much of that. And you see a lot of that in Texas, too. Uh, so you, there's a lot of landowners that understand that. The far majority do. Uh, they understand that. And we see it on the Devil's River. 
Devil's River is a prime example. There was a lot of initial controversy. Now, every time, for the most part, that there's a group of anglers that are floating that river, they always come out with trash. They always pick yeah. up trash. Did those same rules of not taking up trash, I mean, obviously that does, but do those same rules carry over to, like, duck hunters floating the rivers and stuff as well? They, like, saying, say you park up in front of someone's house, but you're still in the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've dropped anchor there, and you're duck hunting. If they come down and harass you about that, do those same carry As long over? as you're not shooting across their property or, or putting trash or entering their property, you have a right to be there okay. if it's public water. Mm. Yeah. And that's all protected underneath the Texas Constitution. That's correct. Well. That's what I was about to say. And, yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, so. I think one thing, too, is you – when those situations, being careful not to shoot ducks and they land on you, you technically can't go retrieve your duck if it lands on their property. Their property. That's correct. That would be yeah. trespassing. You cannot do that. And there's the wanton waste thing, but but you can't trespass. Now, you, if you have a way to contact that landowner, then I recommend you do that you do that, but you cannot enter his property to retrieve that duck. Mm-hmm. That's on wanton waste, uh, say the explain landowner. Explain what that is Yeah, first. I was going to say just explain Okay, that. so wanton waste is means to me that you've killed an animal, but you're not collecting any meat. You're just kind of like leaving it there, or you take just prime cuts, or you just take a antlers. Wa- a gra- uh, the, the, I would say the most, the the sort of the normal wanton waste case is waterfowl hunting. And again, majority of waterfowl hunters do not do this. I want to make sure that everyone understands mm-hmm. that. It's a very, very small minority it would be a situation, maybe a dove hunt or a waterfowl hunt, where they're shooting birds and not even making an effort to pick them up. They're just, leaving, just leaving them just out there. Them, leave them out there. Maybe they pick up the ones that are close. and they, Or they shoot one, they shoot three more, and they go pick up one. And I couldn't imagine going not to pick up my kill. Yeah, yeah it's that kind of thing. So, um, And it's, it's uncommon, but it happens. It happens. It happens with fish, too. A lot of times people will catch fish and – Failed at failing to keep fish in edible condition. I mean, it's the same type of a deal. Mm. Okay. But it, my that, qu- my sorry. question was going to be more of, say you say it's a deer hunt. Let's keep, kind of make it a little bit simple on something that could run. So you're on public land. You shoot a deer. It, it's a bad shot, kind of. So it runs, crosses a private property boundary line. You contact the landowner. They're not going to let you come collect it. What if I, a game warden came up, uh, could they cite you for want and waste no, at that point? No, or is it because no. you've made a reasonable effort? No, you've made a reasonable effort. You've okay. done everything but, in your control. But here's what I would do. I would, I would contact uh, the game warden. If they you told know. you no. Yeah, or just contact the game warden first because you probably don't know the landowner. If it's that situation, just call the game warden and say, hey, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, here, can, you help, can you help me or make, help me make contact with the, with the landowner and go from there? Most landowners, if it's a situation like that, are going are gonna to let you get your deer. Especially if you're shooting legally yeah, to legally, begin with. And there, there's, in some situations, I mean, there's always exceptions. But, the, again, just like we're talking about the far majority of hunters, the far majority, far majority, 98 99% of landowners are level-headed, common-sense people. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Good stuff. Zach, you had a question. Uh. No, I mean, we answer with the wanton waste. Oh, um, uh, hogs. Mm-hmm. Do they fall under wanton waste as well? That's a good question because I know people who just ditch them. Exactly. Yeah, normally no. Okay. Normally no. Right, because I, I because, feel like there's a separate rule for yeah, hogs. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the deal. Because <laughs> yeah. it's considered a nuisance yeah, here. Right. Yeah, I they're, guess they're, kind of like exotics throwing them on the bank. Well, the, the other thing, they're invasive. Right. And the other thing is now – we may have our own personal beliefs right. on on harvesting something, and and uh, but the thing is with you know with hogs, uh, you know we're, the state is actively trying to control the hog population. There's mm-hmm. a difference 
So no, they don't fall under under one waste. Gotcha. Yep. Uh. Yep. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's good questions though. Uh, I'm glad we're not. You know, these, y'all are throwing me softballs. Thanks. <laughs> so, uh, Graham, what are some of the more significant issues that you see with Texas conservation right now? Well, some things that we had talked about before, and that's a great question. And it's a it's a big it's a big issue. I mean, we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours, and there could be people that could visit on your podcast that have a lot more you know inherent knowledge than I have on that subject. But I would say that just habitat, you know, loss of habitat, uh, degradation of habitat, uh, segmentation of properties and in, in large ranches that are becoming segmented. Uh, multiple owners are taking over and those properties are getting subdivided. And so where you used to have one house, now you have on 2000 acres, you have 20 houses on, you know, on different, on, on smaller tracks. So I think that's a big deal. Uh, I think that again, well, just let me, let me follow up on that yeah. because that's, that is an issue where, you know, we even have, you know, our family land used to be bigger. Most people's did. has yeah. Yeah. been divided out as the generations right. move forward. Right. And I'm not saying it's anyone's fault. I'm just saying it's, a, it's, it's certainly a challenge in, co- yeah. in conservation in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because yeah. different people are going to have different ideas of what they want their land to For be. For sure, and it's their land. And, but, and, and, and a lot of it, too, is money. I mean, money. I mean, it, it costs money to, to own property mm-hmm. in Texas, and you know, it's it, the the cost of living is is becoming more and more each year. So there's there's challenges to whoever you know to your family if you don't. So I understand that, mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not blaming anyone. Texas is changing quickly, and the the landscape is changing, and, and it's a challenge. It's something to think about. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you look at situations like SpaceX, uh, where, in my opinion, you you have a very sensitive area. And I know you guys have talked about it before. I'm not saying we have to go back down that road. But those types of situations where you're having, you know, industrialization uh, of a very sensitive issue or maybe deep water dredging. uh, Like at the Aransas Pass. Aransas Pass. Those types of issues, I think, are are decisions that we really need to be smart about and, and not think about maybe the tax benefit today, but we need to be thinking two, three generations down, mm-hmm. down the road. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, it makes me think of, of Chuck Neiser. And, you know, you're around someone like Chuck, who Captain Chuck Neiser, world-famous, world-class fishing guy down at Rockport. Been doing it longer, really, than anyone down there. There's a couple of folks have been doing it a long time. He's, he's one of them. Uh, but he started Flatsworthy. And with with some other with with a few others, but I, but it's really I, I really have to give give him just tons of credit for 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 coming up with Flatsworthy. He certainly uh, is their is their leading cheerleader and has just done an incredible job with that. But it's what he's doing is he's thinking about the future by looking at the past. He's he's brought up satellite imagery and looked at the looked at the seagrasses. Will you explain what Flatsworthy is? Yeah, the best I can. I mean, Flatsworthy is an organization that brings a lot of stakeholders, a lot of user groups together to talk and to communicate about the uses along the the, the coast, primarily the mid around that rock port. But it's it's moving. It's moving down in the Baffin Bay. It's moving south. It's moving north. Additional chapters are coming up. But what it is is it brings the the, the folks that the guides, the Poland Skiff guides, the the 
tower boat guys, the airboat guys, the birders, you know, bring the game wardens brings all these people together to talk about the issue because I may disagree with how this person goes about their use of Pringle Lake or Post Lake or mm-hmm. these incredible Conte, these beautiful estuaries uh, along the mid coast, but but someone else may have their own ideas about how I do things. But this this gets the conversation going, and it's really try, it tries to promote common common sort of principles on you know don't don't destroy the seagrass. You know, think about what you're doing. Don't herd the redfish. Don't cut off somebody's drift. You know, it all relates to, 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 to conservation. And I don't think safety is something that they were shooting for, but it sure increases safety, water safety. Mm-hmm. Flatsworthy has done a fantastic job with that. But really, it's just an approach to using the ability, the, 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 the honor to be on that, on that waterway and using it wisely for future generations because the numbers just keep going up. I know a lot of people that don't really like to fish down there already on the weekends just because it's so crowded. Yeah. So this is a way that, that, that we can all work together to make it work. And Chuck Neiser has just done such a fabulous job. I mean, he's guided presidents. Multi, he's guided presidents on fly fishing trips. He just donated a fly fishing trip to the 100 Club to raise money for the 100 Club. He gives back so much. So, you know, when I talk about the population of Texas changing and what's coming down the road and all these sort of this doom and gloom approach sometimes, then there's people like Chuck. And then that they give you hope to, to, to think about, okay, there is hope for the future. Because yep. they're not just sitting around complaining. They're trying to find solutions. And I feel the same way about JT Van Zant. They're trying to find solutions. They're not just saying these are the problems. Let's be a cynic. They're trying to find a way to make things better. Yeah, because so. it seems like that's a big thing in conservation. Is we constantly find things that are issues, but you Nobody know, to, to go idea. back to the SpaceX thing, that's in the conversation that me and Cliff had. You know, that Where was, was approved ten, year, ten years. That was ago. that was yeah. approved ten years ago. Right, and, now and it's already here. Right, there's yeah. nothing we can. They're not getting their permits removed at this right. point. That right. was approved by the Texas State Senate. It was a different yeah. time ten years ago too. Yeah. Like so, different mindset as yeah. far as the pop. Like you the, know, and that, that's like kind of a defeating feeling. You it, know, and so I like that you brought up the it hope is. side of what are the good things that are happening now in Texas conservation. Well, and another thing too is, you know, Google up. River Horse Nagadate. Fantastic. Yeah, he's a great uh, writer, oh, artist, yeah. fisher. Surfer, guitar player, yeah. you know, poet, sensei, whatever you want to call him. <laughs> but he, he is one that always waves that flag of hope. And he brought attention to the, you know, shark fishery, the shark fishery situation that's going on in the Gulf of Mexico, especially in the, in the southern Gulf, Boca Chica, that area on the, on the border waters there. He brought, up a lot, he brought a lot of attention to what's going on with the Mexican fleets coming in from Playa Baghdad that are finning sharks. I mean, they're finning tens of thousands of sharks a year. Just tossing them back. Just tossing them back, taking the fins, drying the fins. The fins are shipped to Asia. Big, big, big money. Big money. I mean, we've made big, large busts down in Houston uh, on, on shark fins. So, yeah, it's a big, big market. It's worth a lot of money. There's cartels are involved in Mexico. Again, we could be a separate subject just on that. But he brought attention to that issue. And now other organizations are looking at that. It's Texas Monthly's interested in it. Other other publications are and so thank thank God for, for River Horse, thank God for Chuck Neiser that are bringing these issues because we can sit here and talk about them all day, 
But these these folks have big voices, and a lot of people are listening to them, and it's a way to 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 connect um, to to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. I mean, when River Horse did his, it, went, it was Patagonia picked it up. Patagonia did the did the story, and and for them to do a, a story like that is pretty unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's. What are some other uh, conservation issues, like hopeful conservation issues in Texas? Well, I think the biggest, I think the biggest hopeful co- conservation issue in Texas is just when you look at the median age of like BHA, or you look at the median age of CCA, and you're seeing these young young folks that are getting involved. Uh, my daughters are getting involved in conservation issues. You guys, I mean, I'm an old fogey sitting here in the garage. Maybe me and Evan. Oh, Evan, I think I've got a lot, of, a lot, a lot of years on Evan over there. Yeah, but um, but you guys are young, and the fact that you're that you care enough to be doing this, you, you, I mean, we're sitting here in a garage in San Antonio. Y'all could all be doing other things right now, but we're here. We're talking about the issues. We're talking about things that matter. I don't think there's anything else we'd rather be. <laughs> I look but, forward to it. But but it is but it is important. It's important, and so I think I think. What gives me hope, and that's such an incredible question, is just the passion of, of young people and the fact that, yeah, Texas is changing, the landscape's changing, but there's a lot of people that care uh, that are going to, I think, that are going to be the future stewards, you know, the, the future John Graveses of the world, mm. so to speak, the future Chuck Nizers, they're, they're out there. So um, that, that's really you know, that's really what gives me the most hope. Something, it, piggybacking off of that, but something when we had Clay, what was his last name? Roberts. Roberts. On a few weeks ago, we asked him, uh, a lot of people, because he works with TPWD, and, uh, he sees uh, a lot of the public land stuff go through, and something that I asked him was, as we see, a lot of people are saying that the median hunting age is rising all across the U.S. And I asked him, well, what's it look like for Texas? He said, well, we're actually kind of trending a little bit downward by a couple of years, but it's staying predominantly steady, which tells me that we do have a younger population constantly yeah. coming through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the numbers are staying pretty steady, but the population in Texas is growing exponentially. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the, what, what we're – and that's good. I mean, we could be in worse shape. There's states, but not every person moving here is a hunter or a fisherman that's, either. That's, that's, my fa- that's my point. That's my point. So our population is increasing. The numbers are staying the same. Okay, so like we're not gaining any new hunters with the people moving We're, we're – we're not necessarily. Not necessarily. Maybe some, okay. but not, not, not to the same to rate. It. Not okay. enough to change it. Gotcha. But, but again, you look at. But you, they're obviously young because think about it. Each year, we're in a different age bracket almost. Or every however they break it up. Is right. it five, ten years, three years, whatever. But we are constantly, as we started, fly fishing, hunting. I mean, when did you start, Landon? Fly fishing or being a conservationist? 2013, 2013. So he's aged seven years plus in right. it. You've aged however long. I've Five aged years. however long. Each year we go up, and eventually we would be that upper age bracket class. Well, and that's why that, the whole the whole R three thing matters, right? You know, you know which recru- is recruiting, retention, reactivation, right? But there's one thing that's missing from that, and 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 I, again, not doom and gloom, but it, it's all about access. Because you can recruit and try to reactivate and if and you don't have somewhere to go, they leave. All the people in the world, if you don't have a place to go, you're not, you're not going to keep, keep them. So there, there enters the public land. And again, the duck, the waterfowl hunting, the fishing, the boating, 
the incredible spots out in West Texas that we have to quail hunt. I mean, the, it's here. And, of course, the other thing is there's nothing wrong with loading up and going to New Mexico or Colorado either. Right. I mean, there's a lot of folks that do that. So more power to you. I mean, we're all in this together. So, But, yeah, I mean, fly fishing – you could probably speak more to fly fishing as far as the demographics go than I, but I know that fly fishing has exploded. Mm-hmm. And then again, when you compare what's happening down in Port O'Connor and Rockport with, with, with fishing and you look at that 15, 10, 20 years ago, there's no comp- – so boats, they're selling record numbers of boats. I mean, as far as – so, so, but there's the other side of that coin is you don't want to love anything to death either. Right. So that, that, then, then enters Chuck Neiser, and he – He's that, you know, he's sort of the helping to be that 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 mediator and that gatekeeper. Oh, it's responsible stewardship. There you go, because we can do it. We just have to be smart about it and be educated. So let's let's break this down. What average Joe, average Jane listening to our podcast, new to hunting and fishing, maybe, haven't been doing it that long, and we they hear us talk about conservation issues, they heard about what you talked about today, but they hear SpaceX that is a problem I have. I can't even wrap my head around. I don't know how to help. What is something that the average guy, the weekender, can do to help with conservation efforts? Yep. So it used to be, in my opinion, that it was good enough to buy a hunting and fishing license mm-hmm. because that, those funds go to support habitat improvement and supports the game and fish agencies within whatever state the licenses are being sold, uh, you know, supports federal aid programs through the uh, federal duck stamp. So that used to be enough. It's not enough anymore. Okay. Okay, it's not enough anymore. So in addition to that, and this goes now we're going to make full circle, there's, there's power in numbers. So join, take the time, spend the money to join Flatsworthy. Take the time, spend the money to join CCA. Because CCA is fighting for these issues that we just talked about as far as the, the terminal they're fighting for that. They have position papers on that. So it, it, am I saying that everything that these that BHA, join BHA, join DU, join a couple of these organizations, am I saying that every, every one of these organizations is perfect? No. Am I saying that you have to agree with every stance that these organizations take? No. Do you agree with every stance that Parks and Wildlife takes? Probably not. But the beauty of it is it's, it, it's, it far, the good far outweighs a misstep or something that you might disagree with. There's, there's power in numbers. And so there, there is some, you know, just to be frank, there's some, there is some, uh, you know, there's some turf stuff going on from time to time with different conservation organizations. It's there. Is it, is, does it get in the way? Not really, but you know, we need to unite. And I think for the most part in Texas, we have, I'm not really aware of any of this going on in Texas. Most of this is occurring in other States, but we have to be aware of that. And there's nothing – if you can be a member of BHA and be a member of the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation or Gear Up for Game Wardens or be a member of CCA and be a member of Flatsworthy, I mean, they, 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 they all work – they're all looking for the same, the same end, the means to the end. So Another push, if you need it, is it is all tax deductible too. Sure it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, again, I'm, I'm not trying to give a hard sales pitch. I'm just saying if someone is looking to do something and they have limited resources, join a conservation organization that you feel like best fits you, you know. Why and I also, why you know, they're going to also put out newsletters and things like that. So if you there's bet. something that needs to take action, call your state senator. You bet. Whatever you it bet. may be. They are going to send those emails out to you and calling a state senator or sending them an email or writing them a letter 
will take 10 minutes, but that's, that's right. a big yeah, effort. A big deal. Sometimes they give you a script or a thing that you can just use and send yeah. that in or whatever. Or they'll yeah. plan river cleanups. You or bet, you bet. And the other thing is, you know, Parks and Wildlife has, we call it an open mic day, but it's they have their public hearing coming up in, in on August 26th at 2 p.m. You know, anyone can come and talk about anything that day. So I encourage your listeners to go to Parks and Wildlife headquarters on the 26th of August and you got three minutes, <laughs> you know, give, you know, explain, get, and, and, and the commission is great about listening. You know, they, they want to hear what you have to say. I'd and, be interested in going and listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would too. Mm-hmm. To kind of piggyback off of getting involved in R3 and stuff, something I've kind of thought about to incorporate the, to have places to go. I think this might be a forte for BHA to go into um, and being a chair member, maybe you can push it. Uh, maybe I could get in contact. Evan could get in contact with someone. But, like, maybe expand upon R3 for BHA and make it like an R4 mm-hmm. where it's recruit going through, but then on the back end of it, it's research, which tells people how to access their public lands and how to find these spots and stuff. Okay, y'all right the date and time down because R3 just became R4. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you may have something there. I think that's 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 that access piece is because very, very we important. we get a lot of questions about well, where do I go? How do I do this? How do I do that? And we always end up telling them I use for something I use a lot is Texas Parks and Wildlife's uh Well, and that's a double edged sword too because we also talk about hot spotting and yeah. you know the, the joy loving of, something to death. The, yeah, loving something to death and the joy of going yeah. through the effort of finding yeah. something on your own. But I also understand being in that I'm a new fly fisherman. No, I don't really tell, know what to do. I'm not t- saying that BHA should tell you where to go. No, I'm no, saying no. but tell you how to, to research, research it. it. Yep. Yeah. So well, and, 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 and I'll tell you something else. You, know, you mentioned, and I think this is an important piece of this too, is, okay, so someone's getting into fishing, uh, wants to become more conservationally minded. A good place to start is go hire a guide mm-hmm. that that can show you and teach you. My only issue with that is sometimes, depending on the age that you are getting into it, mm-hmm. a lot of guides, their prices are going up and up. And to get someone in, I feel like it's more, it's going to sit with them more or they're going to stay in it more if they are able to just go do it on their own right, right. and figure it out versus paying Five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars yeah. for a day. Guide. I think, it, I think yeah. it's how hard you want to work. Well, and versus, I think, and I, and I think, and I think too, though, if you go out and you're willing to invest that money to to learn the basics, and not just about, I'm really not even talking about fishing. I'm just talking about the approach. Mm-hmm. You know, the approach and respect for the resource. Then you hire Alvin Dado, you hire Chuck Neiser, you hire JT Van Zant. I mean, to name a few. In my opinion. And so there are many others. There's many, many others that are out there that, that are incredible. Because really, to me, a guide is a teacher. But that's a good point. And they have to make livings too, mm-hmm. and it's expensive. But, right. but the other thing is, is, fi- is, is you could load up and go down to Fish Padre Island National Seashore. Uh-huh. And we're coming up on October, November, December, the best time to fish down there. It's an incredible fishery. It's, you pay your entry fee, you set up a camp, and it's, it's great. It's beach camping, but... Um, that's a that's a that's an incredible resource that we have, and it's really easy to get to. And I think something to piggyback off of our conversation earlier too is joining one of these organizations. Yeah. Too, you go to river cleanup, you meet some new buddies. Right. They invite you to go fishing. 
That's, That's a, a great way to network. Oh, some things. of my best friends that I've made while being here. I mean, Evan and me met through BHA yeah. when we were both yeah. involved in it, and he's one of my best friends now. I, I was going. <laughs> o- <laughs> I was. I was going over the Low Water Bridge there, and uh, just below the dam on Ladybird Lake uh, yesterday. No, Sunday, and. So, of course, you know, there's kayakers down there. Occasionally you'll look off towards the dam and there'll be mm-hmm. fishermen down there, a couple of anglers. And there was a mom with her kid, like six, seven, eight-year-old kid. The kid was fishing. The mom was standing out there on this island next to the kid. I mean, that's, that's what growing up to me is all about. Yeah. The other day to piggyback, and I don't want to stop the story, but I went to, I had to run into AutoZone, and there was a dad teaching his son how to put on a, a front tag on the vehicle, mm-hmm. like a little yeah little yeah. boy five years yeah. old yeah. or so and i was like that's what it's about is teaching the next ones how to a respect take care of your stuff and be sure a, sure a independent individual yeah. yeah and i mean and there's stages to your point on the mm-hmm. on the money there's stages i mean you know go to orvis and take a fly fishing lesson mm-hmm. right which is relatively yeah. low cost yeah low cost no cost free, free. free right exactly you know, you know go go have uh, sam stone or megan give you a lesson there in austin at the austin store and and do your deal and then, you know, go out to a pond and mess around and do, and then learn some basics and watch some videos and maybe go fish from the shoreline and then, and then go, go hire a guide. And then maybe you feel and someday you're going to buy your own boat. I mean, there's all these different stages, right, involved in that. So you have to kind of find your comfort level. But the important thing is that you find something. Mm-hmm. You find something because I think another primary issue – that we're facing is just that that connection that we're losing to the to the you know again to the natural environment. I mean, as population grows and as these properties segment and and it's harder to access, we lose that connection. As I said, I mean, baseball now is year round. There's a lot of pools on on our kids. It's hard to stay to keep connected. So I think that that we have to do everything we can to foster that connection. I agree, Zach. You had a question. Earlier that you said you wanted to save for later. Uh, yeah, but it's not connect or anything. That's all right. We're at a. Yeah, yeah, so I was going to ask, like, what the average day of a game warden would be, like. You know, a lot of people don't yes, really know. Yes, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you answer that question? So, I have no idea. <laughs> no, I, you know, there's really no, the beauty. The beauty of the job is there's no average day, mm-hmm. and I think that's what pulled me towards that was. It was really the last job because my brother was uh, was in law enforcement. He's four years older than me. So I knew that I wanted to be a game warden because I wrote a paper in eighth grade, which I still have. <laughs> um, very poorly written paper about wanting to be a game warden. And so when I look at that, I'm like, who wrote that? But, but um, so, yeah, I think, you know, you, ha- you have this idea. And in that paper, I was kind of describing what I thought it was, you know. And then you fast forward eight, ten years, and all of a sudden you, you're wearing the badge, right? And so I think the beauty of the job is that you really, for the most part, not always, because there's some things that pull you in different directions, and there's meetings and holidays and certain weekends that, that you have to be somewhere, but 90% of the time you, you make your own schedule. And that's the most beautiful thing about the job. Well, it sounds like also you've been able to kind of see all of Texas, like yeah. you're talking about being in East Texas. Yeah, yeah, you can transfer. And, and, and also they move you around from from spots. You know, you can you can go work uh, an opening day of uh, White Wings or opening weekend of White Wings season if you're in East Texas. So you can move and go somewhere for the weekend and go on a task force and do all these different mm-hmm. things. But I think the, the main thing is that 
on average day is that you you know you're there for your community you're there for the landowners you're there for the public land users you're there for you know the 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 other law enforcement agencies you know all these things the other divisions within parks and wildlife it's just to make yourself accessible um and and uh you know, but but as far as average day, I mean, there's really there's really not one. I mean, it's like, am I going to go to the lake today? Am I going to go to the river? Am I going to, um, you know, patrol the 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 public lands in my county? I mean, there's all these different options, and that's what what makes it. So Does good. HQ give you those directions, or is it up to the warden? You have a field training officer for a short period of time, but once you get, you know, that, that's sort of a normal, um, you know, phase. So you graduate from the from the academy, and then you, you're assigned a county, and in that in that county you have a supervisor, but you have also have an FTO, and the FTO and the supervisor are not the same people. So your FTO kind of goes, you know, rides with you for six months, and you ride with different FTOs, and they sort of go through a checklist, so to speak, to to check your proficiencies on certain things. Um, and then once you once you make it off that, I mean, you're pretty much you have your partners, and you have your your, your game wardens, and your your partners in adjoining counties. But for the most part, um, you know, you set your own schedule. Do, do I need to work at night? Is it deer season? What's, when is opening dove season? When, you know, when are all these things happening? So you got to be smart and pay attention and really work your schedule around the times that are most active. Yeah. You know, so. Can we do ride-alongs with game wardens? Uh, you, you can. Uh, they So with COVID. Right. That, they they yeah, cut them out during It was COVID. sort of put, yeah. on, put on hold. I think they're re- revisiting that subject right now. Um, there, is, there are some internships, some college internships that are available that you, of course, can. Which looked great because yeah. it just ended two days ago, right, the internship. Did. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great program for anyone out there in, in, in college that wants to put in for some of those. So, yeah. Cool. But, yeah, no, no average day. I mean, it's, it's, it, it could go from zero to 60. And then, of course, you know, the, the whole natural disaster response aspect. Yeah, because y'all were on the front lines for front, Harvey, too. Front lines. Uh, oh, the, yeah. first, the first, you know, 19 game wardens have been killed in the line of duty. The first two were in 1919, drowned in an in a unnamed hurricane just uh, south uh, of Corpus. One? Yeah, Corpus. Okay. Yeah, and so. It wasn't the one that hit Galveston really no, bad. No, no, that was 1900. This was 1919. Okay. And uh, so you know, game wardens have been responding to natural disasters since inception, yeah. so since 1895. Every major natural, na- natural disaster that hit Texas game wardens have responded to. So that's a big piece of what we do. Rescue tens of thousands of people each year in hurricanes, tropical storms, floods, tornadoes. So, uh, again, my hat's off to those guys for, yeah. for that good work too. Is that an additional, like, task force that you have to sign up for? Because I know, like, with firefighters, my uncle was a firefighter, but he was also, like, a diving firefighter. Right. Is there aspects of that in game warden that the, you have to get? Yeah, additional? there are. They're different. They're different teams. You know, there's there's uh, there's dive teams and canines and search and rescue. And the search and rescue really is swift water related. So you may have the swift water rescue team that responds to a hurricane, but you also have game wardens responding to hurricanes. You know, in airboats and different ways. So you kind of plug that SAR team into where they're needed, and you plug other resources into where they're needed, but it's, it's, we're all pulling in the same direction. It's all, it's all one team. Okay. Yeah. Search and rescue, you said, is predominantly swift water here. So there's, is there a search and rescue team dedicated to, like, the high desert country of, like, West Texas? Like, with the K... Uh, like land tracking. Yes. Yeah, land nav. Yes. Their game wardens have training. 
many game wardens are trained in, in land nav and uh, use of GPS and, and uh, tracking. So, I would, yeah, in fact, game wardens teach those courses as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, out in that, that West Texas country can get, get pretty nasty out mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Cool. You guys have any closing? Graham, do you have some closing words of wisdom for our listeners? <laughs> I would just say that uh, you brought up hope a couple times. Mm-hmm. I would say you know, keep the faith in conservation. Get involved. You don't even have to join a conservation organization that we spoke about. You could, you could volunteer your time to a, to a cleanup or uh, you know, call an organization and ask how, how you can help if you don't want to join. But get involved. Um, teach your kids to get involved. Ask your friends to get involved. Um, those are really the only words of wisdom that I have is just do what you can. Think, think generationally, not, t- not tomorrow, because you look at how Texas has changed since, you know, 1850 to 1950, and now, I mean, we're going to continue to change, so let's, let's be smart about it. Mm, I think that's good. Yeah, yeah I think that's it. I, we have some, uh, some Honey Hole news, uh, like new content. Videos are coming out on the regular. New videos? Like, there's like YouTube. three or four new ones last Oh, week. yeah. I forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast, my honey hole's back. Oh, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had are there sp- fish in it? There's, I caught a fish. Okay. So there was on a, the taco? No, no. This was different. Okay. Uh, about, a, about a year ago, I went to a honey hole carp fishing spot I have in the city limits that I know that no one else is fishing. And I went out there. It was one of the first YouTube videos I wanted to make. It's like, we're honey hole angling. I'm going to take you to my honey hole. You know, <laughs> go out and find your own spots and fish them and enjoy them. Go out there. It's bone dry. And it has never been dry. And they were doing uh, construction upstream. So I think they diverted the water. And I'm walking through the riverbed. And there's dead carp everywhere. I mean, probably 20 to 30 dead carp. And uh, I walk up on this, the only puddle that's left in the river. It's about this wide. And there's seven gar in this little puddle, just barely barely yeah. there. There's a pond a little ways away, so I load them up in my net and take a couple of trips and go release them Good into man. this pond. Good man. Um, but I haven't been back to the spot since. And I was like, hey, I wonder how the gar are doing. I'm going to go out there and fish for them and, <laughs> you know, try to catch one on the fly. So I go back out to this spot. And it's loaded with water. And uh, I go check the gar pond covered in moss. I'm sure they're doing fine because they have air bladders and that's no problem for gar. But uh, my main uh, car pole uh, has water in it again. There's ba- I saw some little bass. I oh, caught cool. a sunfish. Uh, there I found one carp. Okay. And there were two gar in the hole as well. Dang. And so where did all these fish come from? I have no idea. They're moving. But, again, there's hope. I got to get trying. You know, if your honey hole dries up, hey, we'll be back. get some rain. There you go. And it might come back. Is go fish the pond that you released the carp into and see if you can't get them back to put them back in your honey hole. In the, you mean the gar? That's what he said, but it's said. full of moss. No, I thought he said in the, the pond where he released the carp into. To I released them. the gar yeah. into. Uh-huh. So I go catch them and move them back into the <laughs> yeah. river. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. and Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah thanks for coming on. Great. Great. Yeah. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs>